Scott Hall was my best friend in the fifth grade. And he had the unfortunate fate of living next door to our fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Henderson. <laughs> Mrs. Henderson was a very, um, well, she was a nice woman. But you had to work to get to her nice side. She was nice to those who, uh, who worked hard and showed themselves diligent. Um, but she was also a stern, old school sort of teacher. She thought rulers were made for more than simply measuring things, if you know what I mean. And uh, she was not afraid to keep us in line. And poor Scott, well, he always found a way to get on the bad side of Mrs. Henderson. Um, perhaps I led him to that, I don't know. But uh, he always found a way to get to her bad side. And the one thing that Mrs. Henderson loved in the world, and the thing that would get you to her good side fastest, was birds. She loved birds. Her backyard was a sanctuary for birds. She, uh, she made every student learn birds by by their appearance and by their call. I mean, she was like the, the charter member of the Ornithological Society in, in, in Springfield where I grew up. So she just was enamored by the whole bird kingdom. And Scott, as much as he got on her bad side in class, even got on her bad side at home because Scott's favorite friend at home was his, uh, his pet cat, Scooter. And Scooter was a big yellow tomcat. You know the type. Scooter also had a love for birds, just like Mrs. Henderson. <laughs> and so he saw her backyard sanctuary for birds, not necessarily as a sanctuary, but more along the lines of a smorgasbord. And Mrs. Henderson would go chasing Scooter out of her backyard with a broom in her hand, and she would yell at Scott, Keep that murderer out of my backyard! Scott would say, he's not a murderer. He's just out for a little exercise. No, she would say. He is exactly what he appears to be. He is a murderer. It kind of reminds me of another story about pets. And, and this one is about this boy, Nate, who had a dog, Rex. And, um, and Rex was always getting in trouble with his next-door neighbor, too. And they hated Rex. Uh, but the next-door neighbor also had a, had a boy about Nate's age. And they were best friends. And, and one day they were out playing. And, and all of a sudden, Rex came around the backyard carrying a dead rabbit in his mouth that was the next-door neighbor's daughter, Bonnie. It was her pet rabbit. And so here, this dog that is hated is carrying this dead rabbit. And, and so these boys did what they thought they should do. They took the rabbit upstairs and put it in the bathtub and washed it. And, and then they blow-dried it so it looked like it was good and clean. And then they put it back in the hutch where the rabbit belonged. And a few minutes later, while they were out back tossing a ball... They heard young Bonnie come out and squeal with delight. And afterward, Bonnie's mother come out and scream in terror. And they ran over and said, what's the matter? And the mother said, the rabbit died last night and we buried it out there. And now it's back here. Sometimes things are like they seem. And other times they're not like they seem at all, are they? I think this is perhaps what this text is about. That sometimes things are just like they seem, and sometimes they are not. Jesus goes into the city of Jerusalem, and his friends look around, and did you notice what they said? Look at these buildings. Look at the stones. They're magnificent. I mean, this is just, this is just beauty. It's interesting that this text falls right after the passage last week where we read about the widow's might where she gives just a penny. And Jesus is quite impressed by that. But we walk into the temple, 
And while the disciples are impressed by the size of this building and the magnificence and the glory of it, Jesus is quite unimpressed by that. Impressed by a woman who gives a penny, unimpressed by this building that is almost one of the wonders of the world. And the disciples are saying to him, do you see this building? Look how gorgeous it is. And what does he say to them? Well, you know what? It's all coming tumbling down. And very soon. I think the disciples of Jesus have a view of the kingdom of God that is, that is deeply political and national. When they hear Jesus say the kingdom of God is coming, they don't think about crucified Messiah. They don't think about, um, about a kingdom of people all over the world that transcends every nation and brings about God's kingdom here in this, in this time, in this, in this world, through other means other than political. They hear the good old days of David and Solomon are coming back. The time when Israel is a national power. The time when Israel has, has secure borders and, and wealth and military might. When they hear kingdom of God, they aren't hearing the same things that Jesus is saying. And so they're, they're impressed with all the wrong things. This, this wonderful building, these magnificent stones. And so Jesus tells them they're all coming down. And what, do, what happens? A few of them get him alone. Um, so tell us... <laughs> What kind of signs should we look for? When should we know that your kingdom is about to come? Should we be looking for people to make us like prime ministers? Or, or, or what is it that we should be looking for? And here are the signs that Jesus gives. The first one, watch yourself. Verse 5, see that no one leads you astray. This is the first sign you should be looking for. Watch out for people who will try to distract you. Secondly, watch out for false messiahs. Many will come in my name, he says, saying, I am he. Do you know that in the 40 years following Jesus' death and resurrection, there were no less than 11 would-be messiahs in Israel? The last one was named Simon bar Kokhba, and a leading rabbi in, in, in Israel proclaimed him the messiah. He died, and he didn't rise, rise again. Many false messiahs will come, Jesus says. His third sign, there'll be a rise of nationalism. And this will lead to wars. Wars between the countries. Israel has been longing to kick Rome out of their, their neighborhood. They've been longing to get out from underneath Roman domination. And you know what? They make a serious charge for it late in the first century. But Rome is a mighty nation. And they stomp with both feet on Israel. In fact, the last thing they do almost the last thing they do, is they destroy the temple in Jerusalem. They burn it to the ground after first sacrificing a pig in the Holy of Holies. An unclean animal, and an atrocity to Jewish sensibilities. As if to say, do you really think that you have the strength, the might, the wherewithal to come against us, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth? Jesus says these are the signs you need to look for. Oh, and then there's one more. You will be persecuted. You will find suffering coming your way. And I think it's probably left everybody scratching their heads thinking, you know, I wish you had given us this job description a few years ago. Uh, this isn't really what we signed up for. This isn't the way that things are supposed to go. In fact, when we see signs like this, Jesus, I think they're going to point to the fact that God's out of control, not in control. And isn't that the way it works in our lives too? We ask for God to be at work in our lives. 
We want Him to, we want him to take control, to, to, to make our lives His life, to, to bring life to us. And we expect that there will be signs that will accompany this. The, the signs will be like the signs always should be. That we become healthy, wealthy, and wise. And yet those aren't always the signs that we get. In fact, some of them are quite the opposite. Some of us find loneliness. We find that we're alone and we, we long for deep companionship and say, well, Lord, why isn't there someone around to, to, to bring me out of this despair? Why is it that I have to face this world in loneliness? Why are you absent? Why does it seem like you have pulled back from us? Some people find illness. And then they look and their next door neighbor gets a miracle cure and he's out hang gliding the next week. And they're saying, but, but what about me? Why do I have to face this illness Where are you? Why aren't you delivering me the way that you should? I mean, I give you my life. Or maybe they find financial pressure. Lord, I I don't know why, but it seems like um, I'm struggling to make ends meet financially. And the guy down the road won the $64 million lottery and he doesn't even need it. Why is it that I'm struggling and they're not? Or maybe a teenager given their life to Christ and they find that they're not popular like they should be or other people who have such um, great notoriety and, and yet they don't have it and they wonder, Lord, where are you? Or what about this? So what about, um, Lord, we prayed for our country, we prayed for our election and it really didn't go the way we thought it should. It looks like uh, our country is out of control or the world is out of control and it's world political systems. God, what are you doing? And we wring our hands. We're looking for a sign, Lord. Give us a sign. No, not that sign. Give us another sign. This isn't the kind that we're looking for. And it seems like the whole world sometimes can just begin raining on you. And you have no umbrella. And these aren't the signs that we're looking for. Jesus says eight times in this chapter. Eight times. Be cautious. Be ready. Don't misread the signs of the times. 13.5. See that no one misleads you. 13.9. Be on your guard. 13.11. Do not be anxious. 23. Take heed. 28. Now learn. 33. Take heed. 37. Be on the alert. We're looking for a sign, Lord. What are you doing? Let me ask you this morning. Suppose that tomorrow morning you get up and you turn on the morning news, you're getting ready to go out to work, and you turn on the weather channel, and you want to see, well, what's the weather going to be like? Should I wear a coat this morning, and should I go out and start the car, is there frost on it? Uh, Would you rather a weather prognosticator tell you it's not going to rain when it surely is, or to tell you that it is going to rain? Because it is. Well, of course you'd want the second. You want to grab your umbrella on the way out the door, don't you? You want to make sure that you have some sort of protection. I think Jesus is saying, those of you who are going to follow me, sometimes the Lord's going to give you what you need, what you want, just like Hannah. Praying for his child, oh Lord, give me a son, give me a son, give me a son. And finally, he gives a son. But there are going to be other times. When following the Lord means that you look around and all the signs are going the wrong way. And the Lord is going to say, here's your sign. Pick up an umbrella. Because in this world, and up until the time that I return, 
there will be hardship, there will be difficulties, and the signs may not look like you think they're going to. But it doesn't mean that God is out of control. It means that He is bringing everything together until He makes His enemies His footstool. Just like the Scriptures say. God is in control even if the signs of the times are not exactly what you thought they might be.